Hi, Space Bees. I'm Anna. And I'm Renee. And this is Fangirl Happy Hour Special Edition Black Panther. everybody today we're here to discuss marvel's black panther which has been a worldwide success which we all knew it would be we have our marvel correspondent here with us today and it's been a while since she's been with us it is kj kj is a editor at the hugo award-winning lady business she is a fanfic writer cat lover and an all-around awesome person thank you for being with us kj I want to say the last thing I was on to talk about was the first season of Jessica Jones. No. Might have been. Or maybe it was Civil War. But now I can't remember. It's been a while because we've been a little bit upset at Marvel. <laughs> at least I have. Upset at like the comic side. And then it sort of just leaked into the movie side. I mean, I didn't even go see Spider-Man. And that has my fave, Tony Stark, in it. And I didn't go to the theater to see that movie. <laughs> but did you watch it afterwards? No, I still have not seen Spider-Man. Wow. This is an aside. Have you seen, though, the Tom Holland lip sync battle in which he dresses, cross dresses as Rihanna and then sings Umbrella? I've seen GIFs. I've seen references to it. I haven't actually watched it. It is the hottest thing I have ever seen in my life. <laughs> I guess this is my secret because he's 21 years old, basically a baby. And him dressed as a woman is the hottest thing I have seen. It made me think about things anyway this was the last marvel movie <laughs> and then we have black panther back on track back on track black panther was announced a few years ago and everybody was excited about it i remember the excitement really well i mean i was there within the excitement but i especially remember the joy that black twitter expressed and i don't think that i have been as excited for a film in my life as excited as black twitter was for black panther it was wonderful. I enjoyed Black Panther a whole lot. I thought it was one of the like most brilliant Marvel movies, which is saying something considering that, you know, Marvel Studios has been making movies for a decade now. This is their latest showing and it's magical almost how good it is. And better than seeing the movie and enjoying it so much has been watching the joy from black people seeing this movie and talking about this movie. Just following their Twitter threads and just seeing how happy they have been has made me so happy. Their joy is infectious. It brings a wider sense of community, I guess, to the Marvel Universe because it feels like there's more people loving it. And that feels greater because it represents more people. I was excited for this movie. I was also a little worried because... I couldn't imagine that it would actually live up to the amount of expectations and weight that was put on it. But then it did. <laughs> That's been kind of amazing because it's, I think it's hard for a movie to live up to that kind of hype and that kind of like hope. The last time that happened, I feel like when Wonder Woman came out, there was some of the same feeling around it. And it's sort of like, you know, please don't be terrible. Please don't be terrible. I don't think it was quite as amazing as Black Panther, but I think it was still really, really good. And so again, to see it sort of live up to the weight that was being put on it and the hopes that were being put on it, for me, that was very cool and very amazing. Seeing it happen again with Black Panther has sort of even more so. The best decision that they made when planning this movie was to give it to a Black director. Yes. 
if they hadn't done that, I don't think we would be where we are. Probably not, yeah. And I thought about it, but Ryan Coogler, who directed it, is so young and so brilliant. He makes really, really good films. I think about how we sort of demand that people who are marginalized be twice as good as, you know, cis white men. But then as you add marginalizations, it just gets worse and worse and worse. So you have to be twice as good, three times as good, four times as good. I think we're going to start seeing these young, super, super talented black artists come out and just reach heights of their careers and their artistry in their 30s and 40s because they've had to push so hard against culture that wanted to erase them. I'm ready for it because I loved Kugler's vision for this film. I loved all the cinematography, the costumes. So this whole crew that worked on this film, I just want ever just hire all of them for everything at the end. So what else has he done? The two that he's best known for, neither of which I have seen, are Fruitvale Station, which was about the murder of Oscar Grant, and then uh, Creed, which was a movie in the Rocky franchise. I didn't know it was by him. And just to think about those two movies and now Black Panther, which is, I'm really bad at film criticism and knowing where films fit. But like Fruitvale Station, I would definitely put as like a, like a drama art type film. Creed is obviously like a sports film. But then Black Panther is something totally different because it's this huge summer blockbuster that just dropped in February. Those three films with all different tones and themes. And those are just where he's starting and he's in his 30s. What are we going to get from him if people keep giving him work? Can I handle a Ryan Coogler movie when he's 50? I don't know. I might just crack open. I'd say this about N.K. Jemison too. How am I going to handle her books continuing to just get better and better and better and better? And I think it's just because they've had to just be twice as good as everybody else. Now that they're finally getting a chance to come out and tell their own stories and connect with their own communities, I just think we're going to get all this amazing art if the white people don't screw it up. It's always possible. For me as a white person coming to this film, I live in the South and I've always lived in the South. Growing up, black narratives to me were just ones of poverty and criminality. Where's the joy? Because there's so much joy in these communities, the ones that I know, because this is anecdotal. But there's so much joy and happiness and camaraderie in these communities. And I just don't see that reflected in media at all. It's an interesting thought because I, and I hardly, I'm an expert on this, but I feel like it seems likely that there are some of the more of those narratives out there, but they aren't marketed to white people. Black Panther is, you know, a giant blockbuster that was marketed to a general audience, you know, to a white audience. So we get to see. <laughs> <laughs> Kitty. I mean, it seems like maybe they ought to be like, you know, it would be great if there were so many more different kinds of black narratives and narratives about people of color. So we could see all of us could see a broader representation and get a broader idea, a more accurate idea. There was a movie last year that I missed that I wanted to see, but I don't even think it was in theaters that long here. It was called Girls Trip. That was another one that was joyous and fun and got marketed to white audiences. Your kitty is super, super excited. They're like, why are you talking to them and not me? Exactly. Anyway, I think that's another good example of a joyous and fun movie with a primarily black cast that did get seen by more general audiences. And I, I hope that we get more of that. Isn't there a similar separation within books too? Because you have you have like black interest books and they put them separate in bookstores and and that's bullshit. Or or maybe not. 
I got really upset at my library. I'm like, listen, my library, because hello, I'm in the South, so this happens quite a bit. They will do new fiction or books about families or whatever topic that they want. And it'll be a bunch of random books by white people. And then in the front of the library next to it, urban fiction with all these different kind of books that would fit on those other displays. I wonder if there is a, a usefulness there that we don't see. Is there? I would really like to know if there is. There is so little representation that it just makes it easier for people to fight themselves if they go to that particular section. The reason I get concerned is that back when I was making lists of books more regularly, I would read commentary by authors of color who would be like, don't make lists of nothing but authors of color and segregate us away. If you're just making lists featuring only people of color, you're contributing to a culture of sidelining our books from like the genre. Because this was specifically SF. And it's the same discussion around panels too. Enough with the panels about diversity, more panels there are diverse. Yeah, so I think it raises a lot of interesting talking points. But to go back to the film, because we've wandered, as we do on Fangirl Happy Hour, uh, we're on brand still. To talk about the movie itself a little bit, I didn't know what to expect going in because I only watched one trailer. And I think I didn't realize that the soundtrack was going to sound the way it did. So the first thing that really surprised me, like in a good way, was that the soundtrack, it just sounded so different than what I'm used to Marvel movies sounding like. But I think that the music in this film just sounded black. Kendrick Lamar did this music, didn't he? Yeah. So there's a reason. (laughs) And it was so unique. And so that was the first thing that struck me about this film that I did not expect going into it. I knew it was going to look different, obviously, because I think there's, what, two white dudes in this film and one gets killed. Which to me was surprising. I didn't expect mm. them to kill on the circus, like just like that. So not only does this film just look black, it sounds black. It's just very disconcerting to go from seeing 2017, where we watched an all-white government be a complete asshole to watching an all-black government function in this film. But I think it just changed my perspective on the world to see this all-black cast running a government, no problem. You know, well, um, my- a couple of problems. <laughs> Not no problem. <laughs> but I'm talking about in the beginning. Sure. Even when he's being challenged for the throne by M'Baku, it still feels like the government is functioning appropriately. <laughs> I mean, they debate things, but they have healthy debate and, you know, they vote and they come to, you know, and and they, well, I don't know if they vote exactly because I don't think Wakanda is a democracy. I think it's a monarchy. No, it's not. He has advisors. He listens to them. That's right. So that was sort of interesting to see the council in action. But that was one of the things that made me think when it came to this movie, especially having read the recent run by Tanahisi Coates in which the very structure of Wakanda as a monarchy is being questioned in the comics. And I feel like this is something that has to happen at some point in the Marvel Cinematic Universe as well, although I have no idea how they will solve it because he has to remain a king. But there is that element in the movie, which is one of the things that maybe Eric questions and Nakia questions as well. And um, in the end, even Okoye also questions, which is the depth of the monarchy itself and of the king and how much power does he have or should have. There were no answers in the movie not concrete ones. And I think this is something that is going to be examined at some point and something that is probably part of T'Challa's arc eventually too. 
the challenge itself just seems like a terrible way of choosing a monarch. Because eventually Eric Killmonger wins the challenge and becomes a terrible king. So it's not a good way of choosing a monarch. And I want mm-hmm. to see whether this is going to be questioned at some point. Because it's part of a tradition, but traditions were challenged throughout this movie. It has been a tradition of, a, of Wakanda to be apart from the world to protect the vibranium source that they have. But how much of that has impacted negatively the world and how much of it now has to be changed for them to become a part of the world? I think the assumption here is that this is going to be a trilogy. There's no way it's not going to be a trilogy. There's no way that Marvel is going to sleep on Black Panther 2 and Black Panther 3. And I really think that's an interesting way they could go. I didn't actually think about the monarchy that deeply, mostly because I was invested in T'Challa getting it back. Beat him up! Take it back! This feels like a really, really not good way of doing this. Well, you know, it's one of these things that it's a ritual that they just kind of do, and they probably don't think about the implications of it. They just do it this way because they've always done it this way, and it's tradition, and Wakanda does seem to be a nation that's somewhat steeped in tradition, and it just never occurred to them that it was going to be a problem. Until Um, a bad person comes along. Until suddenly it's a problem. So I'm really interested to see if they continue to examine the structure of Wakanda. Because the hero is T'Challa. But the real conversation about power and helping others and isolationism came not between T'Challa and and Killmonger, but instead between Nakia and Killmonger. Because it's like they have the same idea, but Nakia wants to do it in a more, you know, nonviolent way. And I think there's some probably some criticism out about the different approaches they take. We're just going to link a fuck ton of uh, black uh, critics and reviewers talking about the film in our show notes. So you can all go read every single word that they write about it. But watching it and seeing the two versions that Nakia and Killmonger want to take out into the world and how T'Challa reacts to both of them. T'Challa isn't really wild about Nakia's idea. But then Killmonger shows up and shows him the way it could go really badly if, you know, somebody wanted to do the same thing, but worse. So he comes around to Nakia's position. The hero, the one with the best ideas, isn't the actual titular character. It's the ex-girlfriend. That goes with the overall arc in this movie, in which I didn't feel like Black Panther slash T'Challa was actually the central character. The central character of the movie was Wakanda. Mm. And then how everybody else in the movie felt about it and what were their hopes for it. Because one of the most surprising moments was when there was a challenge and T'Challa fell on the river. And I said, oh, now this story is going to go with us following T'Challa in his recovery and getting through his hero's journey Mm. to go back to win back his kingdom and his throne. And that's not exactly what it does. It actually moves away completely from him and it centers the narrative on the women. Because mm-hmm. the moment he falls down the river, it is Okoye, Shuri, and Nakia that take over the narrative. Each of them with their own stories that are completely unrelated to T'Challa. This is the first time ever in a Marvel movie in which the women had roles of their own. And they were all about their own affiliations to the country that they were from. And yes, they were grieving for T'Challa. But it was all about them making choices that had nothing to do with the hero. For me, it was just the most 
incredible moment and in, in that moment and when we saw Okoye saying no I'm not gonna go with you because I owe my loyalties to the king to only later realize that her loyalty should be to the kingdom especially if the king is not someone that is worthy of her mm-hmm. loyalty in those moments is where I realized how lacking every other Marvel movie has been in terms of female characters. It's where Wonder Woman lacks too, because we only have her. I think it's notable that we get the best female presentation from a black man who considers himself to be an intersectional feminist. Just Wedden says he's supposed to be one too. If Joss Whedon opened his mouth and said, I'm an intersectional feminist, I would rip out his tongue and jam it up his butt. That's about how where I am. But I think that's important because intersectionality was coined by Kimberly Crenshaw, a black woman, a black critic, thinker, and Ryan Coogler is a black director. And he's adopted these really important concepts from the black female feminist community and put it into his work. He listens to women and it's very, very clear that he listens to women and values them when you look at his narratives, Marvel, by clinging to a bunch of white male directors, that they've kind of hobbled themselves creatively. Because it's only when you get people who want to be challenged, who want to really dig into the ideas that they want to explore outside of a cis white male perspective, that you're going to get well-rounded characters. I hate to be like this, because, I mean, I don't think that white male directors are bad directors, per se. I just think that their perspective has so long been the default. When I think about my favorite Marvel female characters now, two years ago, I would have said Maria Hill or Daisy Johnson or Natasha Romanoff. And that's not going to happen anymore because there were so many amazing female characters in this movie. Who doesn't love Shuri? And they are all different too. And it's just not one type of male character. You have the warrior, you had the leader, you had the science geek. And they were not only those things, but they were also like really complicated characters. You had the spy, but she was also like a like she was also great at fashion, and then she could drive cars. And she was a little romantic interest. That was hilarious because it almost felt like an afterthought. Once the halfway point had come and nothing had really developed, there was no angst, there was no drama. I was like, wow, are they just not gonna? They're just not gonna do it. They're just not gonna go there. Like it's just gonna be this like, funny joke. Ha ha. He froze, and that's gonna be it. And then the end, they slotted in there, and it felt perfect. Ryan Coogler did it. I wanted to get back to something you were saying before about the about you know the black director and you know and the the intersection the, who describes himself as an intersectional feminist. And it's not just the director though. I mean, I feel like when you were watching the when I was watching the credits, I saw way more women's names in the higher level credits. I would have to look this up because I don't remember if it was the cinematographer or the director of photography, but at least one of those was a woman. There are so few women at the highest level behind the camera. um, And I think that's really important too. Yeah, because there's this whole theory of lifting as you climb. Mm -hmm. But also, you know, just getting that perspective behind the camera makes a huge difference about what the camera work looks like and what the photography looks like and how the women are framed. We had this conversation when Mad Max Fury Road came out because the the editing or whatever was done by his wife. Yep. 
same kind of thing. Having a, an almost entirely black cast, um, many of whom were African, and having, I think, having a cast that represented so many different aspects of the diaspora. Africa is not a generic place. It has many different cultures and many, you know, many different peoples. But seeing the breadth of that represented was really important. And the costumes and the jewelry and the makeup came from so many different African traditions. There was a really cool Twitter thread about that, yeah. uh, talking about where the uh, um, fashion designers of the of the movie got their inspirations from, and they took actual clothing styles and traditional dresses from different cultures, from different mm -hmm. places in Africa, and they were represented all over the console. I think having the tradition of Wakanda being made up of several different tribes also gave it sort of the, you know, you could see that these people came from different traditions, but they were all still Wakanda. They were all still one place. And then when the, the you know, when the mountain tribe, Mbaku and his people came in, they were so distinctly different. One of, the, one of the things that I've seen a lot of reactions to, a lot of positive reactions to from Black writers has been sort of representing this breadth of Africa and not, you know, this generic idea that unfortunately a lot of a lot of us have of, of Africa as this monolithic place, as opposed to, you know, a giant continent with so many different people and traditions and, and cultures. To sort of see that all represented, I think was really amazing. I don't think a majority white production team would have done have, that. No, probably not. Or they would have done a really bad job of it. <laughs> There was no way for Marvel to let this movie happen without black people as like the top of the creative chain. There was just no way. In a lot of movies, you see the black character reduced to like a comic sidekick. Here, I thought it was wonderful that they flipped that script and put Ross in that role. But it's, they still were nice enough to give him a very heroic role. But it was very supportive. He was following orders. He was following the orders of a teenage girl. Because Sherry told him what to do, how to do it, and he did it. And at the end, when she was like, hey, get out of there, he was like, no, no, I'm going to do this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to finish this, this job. I've worked at enough jobs to have watched how white men treat black women. This white male character who has a very important job and expects like a certain amount of deference and respect is just taking orders from this black young woman who is very clearly smarter than he is. And he just recognizes it and, go and goes with it. It's so rare. Dear white men, take a lesson. And I love that he gets shot down uh, when they go and see M'Baku. I'm just like, yes. Yes. So many times I wanted to do that. <laughs> that moment got a big laugh in my theater. Sadly, I saw it with a bunch of white people. They did laugh, but I wanted them to laugh more than they did. Especially at lines like, oh, you brought me another broken white boy to fix. It was so good. Perhaps subtle to some, uh, but very much in your face to most of us. But not over the top. It was just right. The director and the people who wrote this film did a really good job of critiquing white supremacy in a way that would be palatable to white people. Because if you make it too harsh, then it, people get defensive, which, whatever, guys, get over it. And some people still are, but I, that was always going to happen. There's no way. Yeah, you have me, the, the extremist over here. You go harder! Go harder! <laughs> no, they can't, Renee. They have to appeal to racist white America. They can't. Go harder. Fine, I guess. We haven't really we talked ha about Killmonger yet. Oh, okay. Who wants to talk about him? I think it's very easy to argue that he's the best antagonist in the MCU so far. We could make cases for some of the others, but he was 
in this series, it's had trouble with its villains and its antagonists. He really stands like head and shoulders above so many of the rest, in part because the, he doesn't have the, the things we have to compare him to have been so awful. But they did a really amazing job of making him, if not right, at least very sympathetic. Yeah. You understand why he wanted to do what he wanted to do. On some level, I could even be like, you know, yeah, of course, of course you want to arm your agents and take over the world. I can't blame you for wanting that. I might not think you're going about it the right way. For me, the most heartbreaking moment of this movie was when he drank the purple flower and went back to look at his ancestors. And there mm -hmm. was only his father in his tiny American apartment. Whereas when T'Challa had done that, he went back all the way to everybody who came before. And there are two ways of looking at this, right? So from one side of his father's side, he was cut from it because he was cut from Wakanda. But from his mother's side, who was an American woman, he was cut from it because he doesn't know. Because mm -hmm. there is no way of knowing because slavery. And that was a beautiful moment in the movie that was heartbreaking, that was so essential for the understanding of this character, but it's also yet another moment where the movie questions and ex examines white supremacy. Mm -hmm. Like, there are so many layers. I didn't even think about that when he went to see his father. It didn't even occur to me, but now that you've pointed it out, holy crap. I will say, if I could fault this movie for anything, it would be that Eric's mother is never named, never seen. We don't know oh, what happened to her. She's just yet anon another anonymous missing mother. You know, I would have liked, even if we never met her, at least some sort of throwaway. You know, maybe she's dead. Maybe maybe she didn't know about Eric's father and who he really was. But maybe she did. Maybe she's the one who radicalized him. We just know nothing about her. We don't know anything about her side of family or her friends. So he could have had that on that side. But then again, would change the character forever if he sure. had had that. She's this giant question mark. We know nothing about her. I just wish there'd been something more. Just give her a name. I know, right? That's all I ask writers. Because coming from Final Fantasy, I'm just so burnt out on this. Where you have missing mothers, dead mothers, and they don't even get a name. They don't even get a name. Just give them a name. That's all you got to do. You have two and a half hours max. We get it. Just give them a name. Were they trying to say something about not giving her a name? Is that commentary on something? Then make it obvious that that's what you're doing. You know, show me that you've done it on purpose and that you have a reason for doing it as opposed to it just being an oversight. So I think that, yeah, that was my literal only criticism about this film. I have no other critiques. Even with me, I don't like long fight scenes. Oh, the fight scenes were amazing. They were so good, though. Yeah, I don't like long fight scenes, long like chase car car chase scenes. I don't like that stuff. I don't. I found the character stuff more interesting. But in this film, it was amazing. That car the chase. Car chase was that so good. That car cool, chase. Right? That was amazing. That was so good because it was the two women and the the whole self driving car car. You know, the whole this remote driving know, yeah. thing. That was so amazing. The uh, Okoye fight scenes. They were so good. And I kept looking at her, it's like, I, I recognize this actress. Where do I know her from? Where do I know? She's from The Walking Dead. Michonne, one of my favorite characters. On The Walking Dead, she has quite a bit more hair. That was the moment when I said, I know this, was when she was wearing the wig. I was like, she seems so familiar to me. Oh, it was the hair. Yeah, she did a really great job of inhabiting this role. Everybody was just like on. 
guys, I love this movie. I love this movie more than I like Captain America Winter Soldier. And I never thought I would say that. And wow. you even got a Bucky cameo. I was not expecting it. I didn't know it was coming. I was like, oh my god, I want the adventures of Shuri and Bucky right now. That's another point I wanted to raise with you guys to see your thoughts. Somebody was talking about whether this was going to get a sequel. Duh, it's going to get a sequel in a, in, a, in, a, in a third movie. Everybody knows that because there's no way they're going to not do it after this successful of an opening. Iron Man did really well and sort of launched the whole MCU and I think I saw somebody like mention, oh, I don't want just a trilogy. I want a whole spinoff world. Give Shuri a movie. Give Nakia a spy movie. Or you, can, you don't, even have, don't even have to be movies. Like do like little miniseries on Netflix because they already have their relationship with Netflix. So you could create a whole universe inside the MCU based on Wakanda. Dear Marvel, if you have somebody listening, please just give Shuri her own movie. We know that Robert Downey Jr. is going to go very soon. Shuri for new Iron Man. You know, we already have a black teenage Iron Man, Riri Williams. I think what they need to do is they need to introduce Riri, and then she and Shuri can be like the new science Science sisters. sisters. (laughs) I really think that Marvel's done a good job at setting up the next generation. Yeah, a future for the MCU. Because I was real dubious. I'll be honest, I'm super attached to Chris Evans as Steve Rogers, and I'm super attached to Robert Downey Jr. as Iron Man. And I guess... Even though I'm really upset at her, but I guess I'm really attached to Scarlett Johansson as Black Widow. I really think that they've set themselves up in a place where, like, they're gonna have really great characters. I just really want that Nokia Spot movie, I'll be honest. As much as I totally agree with you as being attached to the current cast, you know me and, and my Chris Evans levels of love. I could get just as attached to Letitia Wright, for example, as as Shuri, just as attached to Lupita Nyong'o and even Chadwick Boseman. I love him in that role. I loved him in Civil War. You know, he laid the groundwork for this character really, really well in that movie. So I think that they definitely have the charismatic cast playing these roles beautifully to set them up into the future. And if we aren't already as attached, we certain I think we will be. I think the the only one that we haven't seen yet of the ones that have been announced is Captain Marvel, right? Right. And that's not coming out till next year. Yeah, so we haven't seen anything about I've her. I've seen a few early set pictures. So I guess I'm bummed because like, I know a lot of people are tired of Tony Stark. I'm not tired. I love him too. You need to watch Homecoming. You really do. I'll go. I'll try to watch it sometime in the next few weeks. It's so good. I love. It was, it. I was not expecting to need another. I did not need another Spider-Man movie. No. I did not want Same. another Spider-Man movie. But if they had to make one, they did it right. Perfect. It had a. It actually. It had another really good villain. And it wasn't the origin story. And it wasn't the origin story, so it was no. new ground. And it had a really great supporting cast of actors of color. I liked it way more than I thought I was going to. KJ, as our Marvel correspondent, how many space speeds would you give this film? How do I not give it five space speeds? Anna? Five vibranium space speeds. That's the final total. 15 vibranium space speeds for Black Panther. Try to catch it. It's fantastic prepare to be super entertained and awed by what kugler managed to accomplish with this cast that he had and the funds that he had it's beautiful it's a beautiful movie it is and also beautiful is michael b jordan agreed indeed Okay, it's 
time for recommendations. And as our Marvel correspondent is guesting with us today, KJ gets to go first. KJ, what is your recommendation? This is not a stunning wreck. It's probably something that many of you have already seen. But I thought that, you know, given our discussion about Black Panther, that sort of a fitting wreck would be the previous Marvel MCU movie, Thor Ragnarok. Um, Because I feel like there are a lot of ways in which this third Thor movie is in conversation with Black Panther. If you look at the two of them together, they both have a lot of themes about colonialism. They both have musings on the monarchy and how that works and how it doesn't work. They both have a villain slash antagonist who you understand why they feel wrong. You understand what their grievance is. And yet you see them moving to violence to get what they want. It's just interesting to see sort of the comparisons, the ways in which they're similar and the ways in which they're different, the ways in which, you know, you see a monarch losing power and fighting his way back. I've only seen Ragnarok the one time, but I am very interested to go back and watch it now and see the ways in which it is in conversation with Black Panther. And I am very interested to see what happens when Thor and T'Challa meet each other, as they inevitably will in future films and to sort of see. So, and also, I mean, Ragnarok is one of my favorite MCU films. It is hilarious. It is also made by a director of color, Taika Waititi. And I think that the things that it has to say about colonialism reflect that. Chris Hemsworth gets to play the role very differently in a way that suits him a lot. If there's anyone out there who hasn't seen Ragnarok, it's worth checking out because it is a lot of fun, but it also has interesting things to think about. That's my rec. My turn, in keeping with what we've been talking about and with Black Panther, my recommendation is a little bit of cheating, but I would ask for all of us to go and watch A Wrinkle of Time. And I think it's probably as important as Black Panther for the same reasons that Black Panther is important. And it's also by a woman of color and it has lots of black women and black girls within the movie. That reflection is also as important as seeing adults. What about you, Renee? It is called The Tea Master and the Detective by Elliot de Bodard, and it is the story of Sherlock and Holmes, except in this iteration, Sherlock is like a cranky lady with a mysterious past, and Watson is a sentient spaceship who makes teas that allow people to travel through deep space without like losing their minds. And they solve mysteries together. Well, one mystery in particular, but I hold out hope for more mysteries in the future. And it's so, so good. And it's set in Debordard's Zuya universe. So if you're familiar with her Zuya short fiction, this is another one. Really, really good. 8,000 space piece. I just read it and it was brilliant. All right. KJ, thank you for coming and talking to us about Black Panther. Thank you. You're welcome. I'm glad to be on. But we really, we really enjoy your perspective. Thank you very much for loaning it to us for today. Thank you. Thanks to KJ for talking with us about Black Panther. And KJ, where can folks find you online? Uh, The best places to find me on the internet are Twitter. My account is I am KJ um, or on Dreamwith, where I use the name Owl Moose, like an owl and a moose. And you can find links to everything else off of my Dreamwith. And we will put everything in the show notes. 
Cool. If you have any thoughts, send them to us at fangirlhappyhour at gmail.com. And please come chat with us at Fangirl Podcast, too, on Twitter. We also have a Facebook discussion group. Search for it under Space Bee Army and request to be added. Our segment break music is by Chucky Beats and Boxcat Games. Our show art is by Ira and our transcripts are by Susan. You can reach all the available transcripts at fangirlhappyhour.com. Drink some water, have a snack, and practice good sleep hygiene. Go see Black Panther and then along with us weep over the fact that all the other Marvel movies suck at writing women. Thanks for listening, Space Bees. See you next episode. You have a terrible secret that I could put in the outtakes. I didn't care for fandom for robots. <gasps> I don't have a secret. I have no secrets. I'm an open book. Never let it be said that I have not cobbled together a recording studio out of literal women's undergarments. It's been a, it's been a long decade these last two months. <laughs> Remember when that one time I said you were a dog? Yeah. Maybe I should have chosen Cougar. Maybe I should have. Listen, we are going deep into <laughs> off-trackness. <laughs> Maybe we should stop, rewind, and start again. <laughs> We're fine. We're f- Listen, this is what editing is for. This is my job. The fox and the bunny have get pregnant, and the fox is mad because the bunny wants to see abortion, but the fox is mad because he's like pro-life it was a weird it was the weirdest comic in it <laughs> okay. what is happening right now <laughs> off topic it's only it's my fault as for usual when i found out that chadwick boseman was 41 i was like fuck off how the sausage gets made you're seeing that yeah you're seeing our amazing I have to edit the top of it so it's not wrong. Kimelakam. What was that? In Portuguese, it means it was something that you say express like fuck, but it literally means booger. <laughs> <laughs>